I'm Christy Bourne. And I'm Rainier Wild. Together, we're investigating the mysteries of love and relating. We get gritty and dig deep into why love is the tie that binds us together. And also drives us to our knees. This is our story. This is your story. This is Love Like Hell. You didn't say, I love you back the first time. You always wanted the kids to take down their forts when you came home from work. You were pregnant with someone else's baby. You always bought a dog each time we had a kid. You made me ask permission for getting a dog. You placed your activities above my activities and made them more important. You didn't show up to my really important activities. You bought a car without talking to me about it. You drove the car I bought. You chose to have relationships outside our agreement. You talked down to me in front of the kids. You made me feel guilty about spending time away from our home. I had to pay all the bills. You took away the only leadership thing I had going and something we created together. It didn't feel like you listened to me. It didn't feel like you prioritized me above anybody else. You never backed down from arguments. I can't ever win. You always loved good fight. So it's so interesting because when we talk about these really, really big, big concepts like forgiveness in the last podcast, you know, it it brings up these ongoing issues about um, things like resentments, right? And, you know, I think instantly when we were talking about this, one of my curiosities was, well, didn't we cover this already? I mean, didn't we say what we were going to say about about these issues? Well, I'm really glad that we're talking about resentment because it does couple with forgiveness. Resentment is something that happens over time. It's a buildup of anger and experiences that we have internalized and that we hold on to and it bubbles up. And when it does, it pushes us so far away from the possibility of forgiveness. Resentment is one of those things in relationships that can cause a demise, a downfall, because of the accumulation of scorekeeping. And it may be the inability to dialogue, to have conversation, to be honest with one another. But over time, this anger builds up inside of each and every one of us. And if we don't have the skill, the ability, the willingness, it will trip us up each and every time. And so that concept of forgiveness that we talked about previously, we couldn't even touch it if we don't have a grasp or an understanding of the resentment that we hold on to in relationship. Mm, yeah, that's so good. Forgiveness is something that is undoubtedly a possibility when dealing with resentments. But the experience of resentments and expressing those, it's a separate process. It occurs to me that forgiveness is, as we've said, a gift you give yourself. It's a self or an inward journey that happens. But the process of expressing resentment, of articulating those and exfoliating them, so to speak, 
That's something that's relational maintenance. That's relational health. It's inherently a team sport. Absolutely. In those examples that we had at the beginning of the conversation, I hold on to something and it pushes me farther away from you. And then another one comes. And if I continue to bury my resentments, they become an accumulation. And pretty soon you're not dealing with me. You're dealing with the accumulation of my resentments in relationship to you. And that pushes us farther and farther away. Right. And, you know, this sort of strikes me as death by a thousand cuts versus death by beheading, right? A lot of times in relationship, we think, oh my God, this thing happened. This thing, this really big event happened. Infidelity, betrayal, deceit, lies, murder, you know, whatever those things are. These really, really big things. And that really, really big thing needs to be forgiven. But so often, the things that breed contempt, disgust, just a lack of enjoyment, a, a deadness to the relationship, aren't really big things at all. In fact, you have couples who look at each other and at some point in time, they end up saying, ah, the thrill is gone. And what they usually mean is the accumulation of resentments versus repairs outweigh each other. Yeah, what, what we often notice is that it's not sometimes the big things that trip up couples. It's all the things that le- have led up to the big things. And when they haven't been dealt with, then that is the final blow. And the ability to finally get honest, man, that is so difficult. I remember hearing this word, resentment, and it felt like such a dirty word to even say, of course, I'm not going to have resentments. I'm not the kind of person that would have resentments. That feels kind of gross. But when we start to take off the layers, it's like we all have resentments. We all carry the inability to overlook something or to be very flexible or to turn around and not notice something. And it happens in very subtle ways until we're swallowed by it. And how does that look when we start pushing back? Well, we might be defensive. (laughs) We might be short with our word. We might speak under our breath. We might not turn towards the other person when we need their help because, well, we can do it all ourselves anyways. We never needed them in the first place. And so we'll start to see behaviors that come out because we've been holding resentments. I think inherently a resentment for me is almost any time or place that I've experienced what may justify anger, what might create anger in another situation, but I'm not able to access it. For some reason, I, I, I can't latch hold of it. Maybe I don't feel like it's fair of me. Maybe I don't feel like they deserve my anger. Maybe I don't feel like it's worth expressing. And so I stuff it. I push it down. I get through it. But that doesn't mean the anger disappears. That doesn't mean the situation goes away. 
it means that I've just moved on. It reminds me of this, this wound that I actually have on my hand. Do you remember uh, how this wound was formed? I remember 100% how this wound was formed. <laughs> it was so awful. It was, it was Halloween, right? It was Halloween night and we were stuck home because our daughter was sick. Yeah. And so you were making a meal and I went to go run out and try to find candy before the trick-or-treaters descended upon us because we at least were going to be the, the people that showed up with at least having candy at the door, even if we were miserable as hell on Halloween. <laughs> Little did I know it was going to get a lot more miserable. Right. And you took our youngest son and I had our daughter home. She was sick on the couch. And for some reason, red Thai curry sounded like the food to eat that day. Just a Halloween food, right? Just, yeah, yeah standard. As one does. <laughs> and um, I used the can opener and it was a hand can opener. And this particular can opener hadn't been working for a while. Now, it wasn't your fault. I'm not blaming you. This isn't a resentment story or anything, but... But it was a shitty can opener. Oh, that can opener. I probably brought it into our marriage. <laughs> we should have gotten rid of it a long time ago. And I'm using that can opener and I, I get that can of imported Thai red curry about eh, three quarters of the way open. And I can't, I can't get it open anymore. So I go to force it with my left hand. And I take my thumb and I begin to pry that can from the inside and whoosh, slips. And uh, several inches of my thumb down all the way to my palm are now split open. And, and my thumb is falling off. I mean, right? It's hanging on by a thread. It was really disturbing. And, you know, Thai red curry is everywhere. <laughs> Blood is everywhere. It was gross. And, you know, my daughter is like, she is, you know, beside herself. It's really frightening for her. I'm like, grab a towel, grab a towel. <laughs> so, you know, we're trying to, and we're rushing to the ER. You're like, you got to go to the ER. We get to the ER and, oh my God, thank God for the ER workers, right? Well, it actually gets worse. She throws up on the way to the hospital. So this is just the tale that gets worse. We're zooming there. She's sick. She throws up as you're going in. It's pretty bad. This sounds miserable. Well, we get in to the hospital and, um, and they fix it. I mean, just 11 stitches later, my thumb is reattached to my hand and we can all feel good about that. So we go home and, you know, within about 24 hours, something began to happen in my thumb and my hand. I, I can't explain. I had lost by that point all sensation. It was going really numb and it was getting puffy. It looked a little bit like Frankenstein stitches, by the way. <laughs> Didn't look very great. This, this, this mitt that is on my hand is just, it's like growing and, uh, and the stitches are like splitting. And so finally I, I look at you and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. And you said, well, we got to go back to the ER. We go back to the ER, same ER doctor, same one right there. And instantly his face kind of turns green. I, I think this was like a lawsuit in the making. We didn't sue him though. I think we should have. 
We didn't know what was going on besides it looked pretty bad and we needed a fix real quick. So he undoes the stitches and he opens it back up and with a lot of chagrin says, well, I, um, I guess I didn't clean it out enough. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I guess this one's on you, doc. <laughs> kind of seems like a rookie mistake. <laughs> Probably was. So they restitch it back up after they've sufficiently cleaned it out. So now I'm 22 stitches in. And, you know, at this point, we're seven years, seven years in, and I'm barely getting my feeling back in my thumb and my hand today. Well, what happened? They didn't sufficiently clean out the poison. The infection, the, the grit, the grime, the, the filth wasn't cleaned out enough. There was still debris in that wound. Oh, we covered over it. We stitched it up. We, we moved on. But there was still something in it. We play nice a lot. Not just you and I, but couples in general. They usually play as nice as they can. And they don't dig out, right? They don't clean out the places that need attention. We want to get through a moment. We want to feel better. We want to wake up in the morning and forget what happened the day before. We all do this. The difficulty with this is that that wound never gets cleaned out. We feel bad about having needs. We feel bad, or maybe this word, we don't want to nag someone. We don't want to be disappointed in them. We don't want our heart to be broken. And so we don't do the hard work of saying, I resent you for this. I am angry about that. You hurt my feelings when? It's risky to do that. A lot of relationships aren't mature enough to hold that. We get defensive. I get defensive. Man, I have not been a very good partner to hold if you were disappointed with me. I can take responsibility for that. And I've had a hard time saying if I was disappointed in you. Inherently, this is one of the features of probably codependent relationships in general, right? I feel bad if you feel bad. So I don't want you to feel bad. So I'm not going to express that you made me angry because if you know that you made me angry, then you'll feel badly and then I'll feel badly because you feel badly. (laughs) It's so convoluted. But what happens is we turn out to be a bunch of liars, right? All we're doing is lying our way through relationships. One of my favorite things to do when I talk to couples is just say, you guys are liars. You're just a bunch of liars, right? And they're like, what? How could you say that? Because I felt so free knowing and seeing myself as, oh, I don't actually say what my experience is. Why not? That is me not taking myself serious. That's me actually lying in relationship to you. And so we are a series, right, of lies. And man, people hate that word. But we are. When we don't represent ourselves, honestly, that's what we're doing. 
Yeah, this is this is so humorous. I see this a lot lately on uh, social media. This this talk about should we be transparent with each other? Should we be authentic? Should we should we be totally honest with one another as couples? And, and these these experts they fall on a lot of different sides. And I, I see people I tremendously respect make statements like, "Oh no, you if if you're going to hurt them with the truth." If you're going to hurt them with this statement, maybe think twice. I inherently feel like that's prioritizing good feelings over reality. And at least in my very anecdotal experience, that almost always leads to problematic realities later, right? The idea being you pay the price now or you pay the price later with penalties and interest. It just gets worse if you avoid it. Yeah, that accumulation that you're talking about is how do we finally take a step into being more authentic and revealing the truth? How do we even bring up resentments? I want to go back to this idea as resentment felt like such a dirty word. I shouldn't have it. I won't have it. And what will it be like to share that with you? And that was a scary thought, right? To step into that and say, I resent you for, oh my gosh, fill in the blank. And to have you hold that. One of the things that I don't think couples realize is that oftentimes in resentments, there can be such compassion. One of the stories that you and I have is that being alone at home when our kids were young, I resented the fact that I felt so alone. And what I didn't realize in sharing that with you was that you felt very alone in your experience. And once I heard that, there was a piece of our relationship that we connected around, that we weren't so different. And empathy and compassion could come through. I no longer felt like a victim in that. I felt like, oh, I didn't have the ability to share my experience to really see you as well. Yeah, of course, this is a, a really powerful window and an insight that we often withhold ourselves imagining that we're making the situation better. I don't want to share this, this discomfort, this anger, this feeling of being upset with my partner because I, I fear that a negative reaction will happen. They won't like me. They won't like themselves. I won't like me. But, but then very, very quickly we realize uh, if we act on telling the truth, that often it creates unpredictable positive benefits. And you just described it. Empathy, compassion, connection. Those are often the results of telling the truth. We withhold ourselves from the places that we would probably feel most in line with or, or most um, seen within if we would have just ventured that. 
Resentments are a walk in the past. And so I think that's a really interesting thing is that anger happens in that moment, right? Did you like that snap? Anger happens in that moment in which something flares up and I feel that emotion rise in that moment. But resentment is an accumulation, right? We've talked about over time. And so when we walk through uh, addressing our resentments, we're actually taking a, a walk to the past. And I think that's an important feature is that it's not happening right now, but we're experiencing it as though it is because I haven't been able to let go of it. It's right at the surface. So it feels so akin to anger because it's right there. But really, it's because I haven't let those things go from the past. And that's why it's at the surface. Yeah, there's this displaced reality, right? And it bubbles up and it comes out in all these different ways. You know, I, I think of of um, the story that you and I kind of talked about. It was just one of the the resentments that we were highlighting. Something so simple, and you and I had to do some really deep work, even for me to excavate this. But but I think of the resentment. Um, that occurred very, very early on in our relationship when I had developed feelings for you. Um, and, you know, my feelings burn pretty hot and fast. I'm someone who can uh, cycle into emotions quickly. And, um, and I had really hit this place where I felt I loved you deeply and was prepared to say that. For me, I did some real work around, is it possible that I love her? What does it mean that I love her? What does it mean going forward that I love her? You know, all these different things. It was a grounded, real, tangible expression of what my experience was. And I went to tell you this thing. I even wrote a song. You remember that? I wouldn't forget it for the world. And I had just gotten back from Spain. I was so excited. I sat you down in, in my apartment that I was living in. I remember you sitting there. We had just gone out to eat to Hawaiian food, I think it was. And uh, you're sitting there and I, I play this song for you. And I mean, the words are coming through. It's pretty obvious. And, and then I kind of have this preamble. I have this speech. And then I say it. I say, I love you. And I mean it. And it felt amazing to say in that moment. And do you remember, do you remember what you said? I do remember what I said. I said, thank you. Yeah, it, it's like what everyone hopes that they'll hear when they say I love you to a person. It's pretty much the answer that you just, you, you're living to hear right now. Yeah, that is exactly what you're hoping to hear and exactly what I said. <laughs> and the truth is, I understood, right? I, I mean, I really did. Part of my preparation going into that moment was I didn't want it just to be um, a so that, right? I wasn't just saying it so that you would say I love you back. I wasn't just saying it so that I could have my my ears, you know, stroked in that moment. I was saying it because I meant it. 
And I knew I didn't need you to return that. Logically, that was a powerful articulation of my own groundedness, my own solidness of being, that I could offer that reality to you and not depend on you to reciprocate. And mind you, this story that we're talking about, we just started bringing this up a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe a year ago, in which this memory resurfaced and was brought into the realm of working through resentments. And that was something that in my mind, uh, I remember kind of more fondly. I didn't have all the emotional, and I would say in some ways, rejection that you felt in that. It was so beautiful for me. You had this grand overture of love and care. And of course, I felt love for you. And at the same time, I was about ready to have a baby. And this baby was not yours. And for me, that responsibility, I didn't know how to step in to love wholeheartedly in a world that seemed confusing around my circumstances. And so the way I embraced it was, I can't say I love you until what? Oh, until I have everything figured out because I have a lot of responsibilities here. Are you sure you love me? But hearing your story to me a couple years ago around this, it melted my heart because that resentment was in place before we married. Yeah, and like so many resentments, it wasn't something that, you know, you go along in life thinking, oh, I'm carrying a grudge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I just get the chance, I'm really going to let her have it. No, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was actually kind of like a, a doorstop, just like a little wedge that prevented a closing or a, a, a finalizing of that transaction. It just held it open, just kept it in place. So there was a gap in our relationship in, in a way. And that opening allowed other things to enter in. It kept the door open for other things to pile into that room. Resentments often justify additional behavior, right? It kind of is like, you got it in your mind, they did this, and so you can do that. It's an easy way to begin to accumulate your ability to do things that you want to do. And that's kind of how it happened. I didn't know that's what was happening, but I think that was a lot of what was going on in me. You know, one of the things that I would love to say about resentments, whenever you're looking at major breaks in a relationship, like major, quote, wrongdoing or a breach in trust or anything like that is, well, that's interesting. But what were the thousand steps that led you to this place? Of course, in this case, we're talking about something that happened very, very, very early on. This very cute, whimsical story. 
not only cute and whimsical, but a story when I had to really stand stalwart and own my own emotions and hold my space and hold my ground. And also, at an emotional level, felt like maybe you didn't care about me in the same way I cared about you and never expressed it. And that, hearing that type of expression so many years later opened my eyes to the reality of what you had been holding. So resentment has this beautiful gateway into the past where I could see you 10 years ago in that space holding the door open. And I didn't meet you in the way that you really wanted to. And of course, for a thousand reasons, I wasn't able to do that. That wasn't an excuse today. The past can't be changed, but I can look at you and I can say, oh, that must have been so disheartening. I get it. That's the power of walking through resentments and time traveling because I can sit with the person that was going through that. And now they're sitting in front of me sharing their world. And that was a gift that I never understood before. Yeah, we can create all kinds of bullshit rationalizations for not actually going down those roads, as you call it, time travel and discussing what was going on. All kinds of great reasons. Like, why would I open up the past? and Let bygones be bygones and forgive and forget. You know, all these things. The reality is that rationalizations and idealizations about forgiveness are not the same as actually experiencing forgiveness. So you can talk about that. You can have all kinds of concepts. But until you express what was going on for you until you actually articulate what was going on for you. I felt resentful. I felt angry that you didn't reciprocate your affections for me. Until you say that, until you own what's yours, You don't create the possibility for that moment of forgiveness because you're not actually owning it. And I want to say you have to create a strong sense of self, right? To not modify who you are, but stand in the conversation. I think that's an important aspect is that I get to take responsibility or I get to hear this person out. I get to appreciate them. And at the same time, it doesn't have to devastate me, right? I don't have to say, oh my gosh, I should have done this or that. It, it is not about redoing the past. It's about being in the past <laughs> and seeing it for what it was and listening to the person who experienced that. Yeah, you know, in, in the discourse uh, that we often have with couples, one of the things that um, we notice a lot is that 
there's a real hesitancy to open up resentment. There's a real hesitancy to kind of open that box. And one of the reasons for that is that these boxes, they like to stay closed. They're motivated to stay closed, right? They, they get us through life. They get us some things. Keeping those things closed makes us feel a little more secure, right? Sometimes it even makes us feel competent. Well, we got through that. We, we, we got over that. I got over that. Well, we didn't actually get over anything. We didn't really get through much. We just packed up a box, right? We just packed up a box. We stitched it up. <laughs> but the toxins were still there. So one of the most powerful things to begin to do is to go backwards and inhabit those places. It's also to apply the accurate words. So I think that's one of the things that is really, really important. Sometimes we uh, ascribe very low-level words in these places like, well, that kind of bothered me, I guess. Or uh, I guess I could say I was a little frustrated. Or even, well, I felt sad when you did X, Y, or Z. But in reality, a lot of anger passes under the flag of sadness. We misattribute anger, frustration, ultimately resentment building emotions because we call it by the wrong words. We call it things like sadness. Sadness is far more culturally acceptable than anger, yeah? Yes, and I exercise sadness a whole lot and stay away from anger a whole lot. So I can speak to that as a pro is that it is far more comfortable for me to be sad with you than to be angry at you. I am telling you my mechanism for not thinking anger and resentment is so high, I would not want to tip my toe into it. And you often tell me, I think you can be more than sad here, Christy. I think you get to be angry. I think you get to have other emotions that are wrapped into it. And that has been difficult for me to show, to exude, to speak those things. Um, and so that's been something I've really had to learn in this process as well. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's probably some people I'd love to actually say, hey, there's more emotions than anger that you can express. But for a lot of people, culturally, sadness is the dominant emotion that we're allowed to have as children. Right. And think about it. A, a caregiver is far more motivated to dry your tears than to deal with your outrage. So they'll tend to it, they'll dote on it, they'll care for it. But outrage, but anger, nah, that's, that's something that you silence. That's something that you chastise. And so, you know, whether or not it's reinforced as children or culturally, over time, we learn to express these kind of very sympathetic and, and kind of pitiable emotions rather than ones that are, are strong or, or seen as over-dominant or, or over-noisy and, and loud. In our culture, the squeaky wheel does not get the oil. Yeah, I bet none of us are really reinforced for being the angry children in our home. And the ones that showed displeasure or that said something was wrong 
or that they didn't like something. More often than not, to be agreeable, to be flexible, to turn the other direction, those things made the household probably work a lot better than anger or expressing those things outwardly. Right, right. And so um, agreeability and then, you know, in the spectrum of when things go wrong, kind of simpering sadness was far more acceptable. So that's what we learned. And so oftentimes people experience the emotion of sadness in the place of the emotion of anger, right? So someone hurts me. In fact, I'm thinking of a men's group that I was facilitating at one point in time. And a man was telling this story about how another man had walked over to him and and actually hit him in the face um, in an unprovoked act of violence. And no, I'm not talking about the Will Smith situation. I was not facilitating a group with Will Smith and Chris Rock, but it was similar. And, um, and this man breaks down crying. And I asked him, I said, what's the emotion that you're experiencing right now? And he said, sadness. I'm experiencing sadness. Well, the reality is he didn't lose something of value there. The emotion of sadness was not necessarily a justifiable emotion in that case. It didn't fit the facts. Actually, the emotion that fit the facts was anger, but he couldn't access it. He was cut off from his anger. He couldn't even touch it. And so resentments happen. We start to bury. I can't be angry at you, so I start to bury. I can't express this, so I start to internalize. And pretty soon, that has a cost in relationship to you, in relationship to me. It might show up in my own health needs, right? It might show up in defensiveness. It might show up in depression. It might show up in irritability. Um, and, And the sad thing is, is that might be more agreeable to me than actually expressing my anger. I will take it on. I will onboard that and I will run with it. And it always catches up. Right. This is that statement about paying the price now or later with penalties and interest. It'll catch up. It'll catch up to you. So I guess I'm curious, you know, if, if you're stumbling onto the reality that you might have resentments What are some of the ways that you can go about addressing these? Well, it's not that you might have resentments, it's that you do have resentments. And I think that's the real honest part about this is let's get over the fact that we might or maybe or possibly, it's that we do. And we have to step into the thought that I need to actually think about this because I probably stuffed it so far down that I'm not quite sure if it's there. Bingo. So if you're experiencing something like sadness about previous encounters or experiences in the relationship, there's probably a resentment there, a kernel of anger that you're not articulating. And what's hilarious is a lot of the couples that we talk to, these trends start very early, just like you and I. We're sitting in a basement, you're expressing your love, and you don't get the input that communicates, I'm all in, baby. And that is a seed that starts to sow. We've heard this story 
many times. It started before we were even married. Yeah, he didn't listen to me. She didn't take me seriously. Mm, He wasn't kind to me in that moment. He didn't extend. He didn't offer, right? Very, very simple things that actually go and they get put into these core levels of programming that then we cover up and we build over. And the rest of our relationship begins to take on that shape. So the first step is really being honest with yourself, taking yourself down memory lane. And really, I mean, it came up for you. I don't know how long it took for that memory to bubble up. But as we start to really be honest with ourselves, we notice that they're there. In this practice, we're talking about anger, we're talking about resentment, but it's not being done unkindly. I think that's the important piece of this. And maybe it's just because I feel like I have a tender heart in some ways. Uh, I'm not hitting someone over the head with my resentment. I'm not beating them with anger. I'm saying this is the thing that got in the way of me relating with you. This is what I've been holding on to because of this event or the way that you treated me. Yeah, you have to be able to, one, approach it with a degree of compassion. And in part, at least, this means that you have to have the skills to hear each other and to be able to validate each other. So prerequisite skills here, (laughs) Um, validation 101. You've got to be able to listen to each other, to mirror each other, to reflect back what you're hearing, to be able to check in, to check the facts, and to be able to hold your own emotions in check so that you're not personalizing and projecting um, over the other person. Sometimes we just, we're not even there yet. And I think that's important to recognize that that's a pretty necessary skill set. I think the other thing that occurs to me is you have to have time and space. Um, one of the couples that we were working with, we had been talking about resentments, we were processing it. And in a flourish of excitement, you know, he uh, runs out the door and, uh, and strikes up a conversation about a, what may have seemed like a, a low-level resentment that unfolded into a much larger conversation. I think they had like five minutes, you know, or 15 minutes of of conversation that was even possible to address this resentment. And, you know, then I get this, this message, this text, Hey, what do you do when they've stormed out? (laughs) It's like, Oh my God, that was always going to happen. If you only had five to 10 minutes to address the resentments. So you do have to allow time and space. Um, Set and setting are so important for these kind of conversations. You have to be able to encounter one another um, and to allow the story to unfold with a degree of dignity that so many of these events require. You're talking about willingness too. The willingness to share your experience and the willingness to hold it. And those are two skills that are hard to sit in and to listen sometimes. That means I have to take responsibility for the places that I've been. and. I also have to be able to communicate, take responsibility for my part. So both sides are really being asked to have these 
open hands and a willingness of spirit to hold resentments. Yeah, you're coming into this, you're you're extending to one another willingness, willingness to listen, willingness to thoroughly excavate the situation, willingness to acknowledge, willingness to own, and ultimately in the end, willingness to engage that process we talked about last week, the forgiveness process. All of this comes from um, going back and acknowledging some things. So I do think that that is critical to this whole this whole thing. You've got to be willing to acknowledge it. And that means owning that you were angry. Maybe even owning that you're still angry. So one of the key parts about resentment is actually uh, saying as if it were happening right now, right? Because you're letting yourself go all the way back and open it back up as if the wound was fresh. Right now, in this space, I am angry. Not sad, not mopey, not a little frustrated, not somewhat upset, not kind of annoyed, but I could live with it. I am angry in this moment that you broke your agreements. I'm angry in this moment that you didn't reciprocate with the emotion I thought you should have. And why do we go back? Because we want to go forward. Why do we want to go back and dig things up? Most people don't think that's worthwhile. Why dig if we can just push through, box up, stitch up, um, Because if we are committed to the relationship, right, then we want to go forward. We want to think creatively. And resentment will keep us only in the past, right? Only in the places that we haven't resolved. This is about resolution. I cannot go forward if I'm stuck in the past carrying these boxes around. I'm not a new person in this relationship. I'm an old one carrying my baggage. The process of opening those stitches back up and thoroughly cleaning out the wounds frees us to be able to move forward with a degree of finality and ultimately living in health. I think that's that's the goal. Again, so many of us approach relationships not even thinking that we're building those resentments, but we absolutely are. It's important sometimes in our existing and long long-standing mature relationships to take that look backwards, to go down memory lane and begin to say the places where I accumulated pain are And then to offer those to one another in compassionate clarity with the possibility of forgiveness. And this goes for new relationships as well. You don't have to wait two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years to start this process. What we're talking about is stepping into a relationship that's honest and authentic. These stories, the ones where we talk to couples, (laughs) where they have long-standing resentments that happen pretty early on in their relationships. Well, just imagine if they could have been addressed quite quickly, 
that's what we're hoping for. Old relationships and new relationships is to way to show up more authentically and more honest. I think that probably one of my favorite reasons for doing any of this is because the survival of humankind depends on it. (laughs) And this might seem like an overly grandiose one, but one of the authors who influenced us actually said it, and I thought said it pretty well, which is, you know, anger is often both underexpressed and overexpressed in an attempt to just not express it. Because of that, we end up having all sorts of problems, not just as individuals or couples, but family groups, tribal groups, nations, war, violence, all because we don't really know how to say what's happening when it's happening. Civilization is a problem like most of our relationships are having problems. Civilization and being civil is the source of a lot of what we're considering in this episode. You don't have to be civil. In fact, maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe you should find some of that wildness and tap into what's really going on. Who knows? That wildness might carry over into some really positive things too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Like Hell. We appreciate your support so much. Listen, would you do us a small favor? If you love the show, will you leave a fabulous five-star review? And don't forget to share this with all your friends. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Rainier. And I'm Christy. Live like mad and love Love like like hell. Love like hell. That that was my signature. (sighs) 